Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Well, last week we managed to survive misery, but the question is this week, are we going to survive Anna? So, oh, I might as well just get straight into it. Um, what do you think of Anna? Do you know what? This is, is kind of a companion piece, um, and, you know, the to dive into all available information on the internet. Wikipedia tells us that, that Lennon really, really liked this song. And you can just imagine him using this as a template when writing Misery. And I think they go to well, they, they go together uh, really, really well. However, this one has a sense of um, nobility. It has a sense of, of charm to it. Whereas Misery is um, very much self-pitying and, you know, very much down the rabbit hole of, of um, oh, the world doesn't like me. This has that sense of, do you know what? Better for you to be over there than to be over here. So, um, you know, go. It's, you know, has has its charms. Um, I also think that of all the songs that we've covered so far, there's something about the the rhythm, there's something about the instrumentation that I really quite like. You know, it, although you can argue it has a similar rhythm to, to Misery, it feels a little bit more up-tempo. It's almost like it's alive because, I don't know, um, I, I think I read somewhere that it is a song that they used to play in their um, um, in their live shows, whereas Misery seems to be something they put together for, for someone else but wouldn't really have played it live. This sounds polished and this makes it a good song come alive a little bit. God, it sounds like I'm quite positive about it, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it very nearly makes it sound like you like it. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. good. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same page. Picking up on something that we were um, mentioning uh, last episode, um, this has three times as many listens on Spotify as uh, as Misery does. So it's three <laughs> times as more popular. About 30 million, maybe? Uh, yeah, 29,696,918 at time of recording, yes. So, yeah, and I think that's also fair. I mean, I agree with you. There's definitely a lot more life about this and the sense that it, it, it matters a bit more. It's not it's not the best song on the album, but it is, it's definitely, of all the material on this album, I think, they, I think the songs do split very evenly into, the, into filler and killer. It's definitely one of those albums. And whilst Anna does definitely fall on the side of... of uh, more filler than killer it's it, it's kind of the best example of that and that sounds like i'm sort of damning with faint praise but i don't really mean to i, I do quite like anna and um, to be honest before we um started this whole project i kind of forgotten it existed uh, it's not a song that in any way kind of lodged in my consciousness but i feel that's kind of a bit of an injustice now i, I do quite warm to it in a way and like you, you mentioned the, the like this is you know like uh, misery is kind of adolescent and, and sort of and this is a bit more uh, a bit more sophisticated and I, I sort of agree with that even although they're kind of in the same lyrical territory but there's something about the way that Lennon sounds when he's singing this it just has much more conviction to it now yeah it, of course if it's been played live um, then then that that helps a lot as well but this sounds like it matters to him in a way that misery just just doesn't. Yeah, although I think if you, you listen to the uh, the original version, the Arthur Alexander version, you'll actually hear it sung by someone who 
can hit all the notes um, and without reaching for them as well. Although, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there'll be those who will defend Lennon for, for that performance. Maybe it was just related to the speed at which they recorded it. But um, I think there's there's something in the way that Arthur Alexander sings it that, that has a real kind of passion to it. And it sounds incredibly um, authentic. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's fine. And I, I, I think actually that's why, for once, I, I would pick up on the, um, you know, the instrumentation and, and the way that the song is put together more than perhaps I would focus on the the way it's sung because for me the way it's sung is 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 not the key point it is that that sort of interesting um you know potentially plodding but you know you've you've got different things happening for me there's something about the the guitar part on the opening that sort of that top line they're not playing chords there is a distinct line that's being played almost like a melody on the guitar part and there's something about it that sounds a little a little off key, but all the more interesting for it. And and I think that's that's where having had the the you know the opening to the album that we've had to then get this, so you just go ah okay something different, a bit of the same, but a bit of variety at the same time. Yeah, I really like that little riff. That that that's um that's George Harrison, and it's one of the things that I what I was saying before about um you know I feel that I was maybe doing the song a bit of a disservice because I hadn't sort of really remembered it um and it's little moments like that that are that that are make me that make me feel that way because it is a lovely that little dum 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 um sort of picked up riff is a really nice way of um providing a hook to the song which isn't just based around uh, the lyric it's by far and away I think the best work that uh, George Harrison has done of any of the songs that we've covered so far um, and it is just this nice, sort of slightly fluid, um, but slightly um, off, off timed or off beat um, little riff, and it's it's just a it's just a really lovely little thing that that adds so much to the song um, whilst being so you know comparatively simple. And although I've been in a little bit mean about Lennon reaching for the all of my life part, if you just actually imagine where we start from with the, that particular riff and quite a quiet. Um, you know, patch at the start, but that's where we build to, and yeah. I think it's one of those that that really makes a difference. In that, you know, misery misery is very very one pace. P.S. I love you is very very one pace. Even in fairness, I saw her standing there. You know, there's there's not that great variation in terms of emotion, but here we do get something of you know, if you like, a narrative through the way it's sung and. I hate myself for having said that. That just sounds so much like a, um, you know, opinion from the internet by someone who doesn't know what he's talking about and has just made it up on the spot. But that's fine. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't think that you're wrong. I mean, you're sort of saying some people will defend Lennon's performance here, and I'm kind of going to be that person. Mm. Um, yeah, I kind of like his performance here. It, it is very different from the original and that's that's definitely true um and i think the original version of the song probably it probably elucidates the qualities of the song better than the beatles version but the beatles version has got something else like you, you describe it as polished and, and sophisticated um the original version and i think that's fair um and the difference between the two versions i think makes it sound like um how can I put it? The 
the Arthur Alexander version sounds like it's sung by a grown-up, and the John Lennon version sounds like it's, it doesn't sound like it's. It sounds like it's sung by an adolescent. But that's basically right. That's basically that's basically right. So, but that that sort of shift in emphasis um, from some from away from the kind of like the more mature, the more kind of grown-up kind of version. Somebody who's trying to be um, rational about a situation which isn't rational in in, in the original version versus the slightly wounded kind of adolescent performance that Lennon gives it, it 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 puts a different emphasis in the song and I kind of like that that's what I think good cover versions should do they should take an original song uh, and put a different spin on it or put a different kind of emotional cadence on it if that's not too pretentious a way of putting it and I kind of think that's what the Beatles version does it's unusual that you go from the more sophisticated version to the slightly more teenage version it's normally you would you would normally expect the direction of travel to be going the other way but I don't think that invalidates it and, and the fact that Lennon is reaching the desperation in his voice because he's struggling to hit the high notes kind of kind of works lyrically with the way that the, the, the protagonist is kind of struggling to deal with their their kind of inner turmoil again that sounds like a lot of big words for a fairly slight lyric but but I think it kind of works I, I, I like the way that Lennon's version comes across even if it is very clear that Lennon has a, a, a less good singing voice than, than Arthur Alexander and, and Arthur Alexander is a great singing voice absolutely yeah. that's not that's more to praise him than to criticise Lennon um, there's no doubt that he's a better singer um, but yeah I think Lennon's version does give it does give the song something different it gives it something extra and I, I appreciate that even if the original is probably uh, more technically superior so I, I would suggest that um, it's written by someone who perhaps has some knowledge of the kind of emotion not necessarily the exact scenario but the kind of emotion involved in breaking up with someone but the the Beatles cover version is sung by someone who just wants to be able to belt out the um those lines in the middle and demonstrate some emotion or indeed show a quote-unquote sensitive side because he thinks that will appeal to the ladies but you know that's that's just a um that's just a suggestion um but hey it works um, and you know it's clearly something that that um, that he liked um, enough to take from their stage act, because um, as we know there are plenty of songs that they they wrote in the early days that that don't see the light of day at all, or don't see the light of day until say the the Twickenham sessions, or you know indeed even um, you know Let It Be as as an album. So the fact that it was one that was plucked early on as being worthy um, suggests that they really thought there was some merit. But then by that same token, misery is on the album. Chains, boys, but enough of that for the moment. Well, I mean, it, I mean, it's a, it's a fair, it's, it's a fair observation. And I think you can tell from the way that Lennon's singing it, that he does, I'm not sure sincerity is exactly the right word for it, um, but I think sincerity is exactly the wrong word for it. <laughs> yeah, but all right, but but there there, there is an there is an ex, an extent to which it clearly matters to him, not just in terms of the the lyric that he's singing, but I think you can tell from the performance that he is putting his foot in the gas. He's trying to give a genuinely good performance. If if the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom, Wikipedia, is to be believed, um, you know, he really liked the song. And I think that does come across in the way that he delivers it. Um, so yeah, like sincerity, not in terms of the lyric or in terms of the, 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 the emotions, but the fact that he sincerely liked the song and, and made a really good stab at trying to make a, a, a good performance out of it. See, I, th I think there's... Um... 
you know, we are encouraged, obviously, to almost intellectualize uh, certain things. And we can do that. We, we, we've been doing it in our own particular way. Um, but of course, Mark Lewisham uh, recorded the fact that Lennon had a bad cold when he sang this. So, which, which I, don't maybe... think, I don't think that invalidates it at all. That just means he was <laughs> he was sincerely trying to give a, a, a good performance whilst also struggling against having a bad cold. Yeah. <laughs> just just meant that he was experiencing a, an even deeper range of emotions. Yeah, yeah. At least one of which appears to have been phlegm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh dear, yeah. But you know that's that's fine. It, it takes out half the fun if you can't then. Uh, uh, come up with something like that. Um, after all, Ian MacDonald um, apparently said that, um, you know, the vocal sounded like a passionate youth grappling with a man's song, which is kind of what I was saying. Um, you know, but there'll be other views that, that talk about how, you know, wonderfully effective it was. That's fine. Different views out there. Tell you what, listener, singular, you choose. You have a listen. Um, don't rely on us, for goodness sake. You listen to it. And, and hopefully you've listened to it a couple of times before you've actually listened to the podcast. Uh, and maybe next week we ought to say, if you haven't listened to this song for a, uh, for a while, stop now, listen to it, and come back in 1 minute 45 seconds. That would obviously get a bit weirder with, um, you know, when the longer songs start kicking in. Um, I feel it's worth mentioning this is the longest song in the album. No! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you picked exactly the wrong song to make that observation about. Yeah, okay, uh, so yeah. you are using air quotes when you know, we're talking about long. Here, yeah, yeah, but... yeah, long is very, very much a relatively, uh, a relative expression. It's two minutes and 57 seconds, but it is still the longest song on the album. This is, um, this is no Hey Jude or Revolution Number 9. No, no, it's, 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 uh, it's not even a Hey Bulldog, um, but it's... <laughs> I really like you, Paul. That's beside the point. Um, it's just just one of those um, songs that it's. I think it probably is about the right length that it needs to be. I don't. I don't want any more of it, but I don't necessarily think I'd want it to be any shorter either. Um, and you know, in terms of sort of wildly uninformed speculation, it's kind of the songs kind of get a bit shorter as as the album wears on, um, and. That's good in a sense that because I think I think as um, please please me wears on, the emphasis is very much in the word wears. Um, it kind of starts to run out to uh, run out of steam towards the end, and as the songs start to get shorter, that makes getting towards twist and shout all the, all the easier to bear. Um, so having slightly having this sort of sort of fairly early on in the album is uh, is is not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. Do you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that, you know, Arthur Alexander is, is someone, really, I'd say most people don't know a huge amount about. And, you know, I think we could probably attest to that, really. Yeah. Uh, but he has had songs covered by some very, very significant artists, which I think is interesting, you know, um, including the Bee Gees, for example, and, and Frank Black. You know, so it's, it's a really kind of interesting range. So there's there's something in... Um, his writing that, that appeals. And of course, you know, if I was just to sort of look at the the, the bands who were covering him, um, say, in the early days, like the Hollies, the Stones, the Beatles, um, you know, you are looking at people who are perhaps attempting to get that bit of credibility from a very hip black artist. Um, so it's, it's sort of, you know, interesting. Um, although the Beatles obviously did 
have their fair share of Buddy Holly and the cricket style um, style music. There is also that sense that they 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 understand where the good music is, just in the same way as Northern Soul understood where the good music was, and mining that resource um, that a lot of people in this country perhaps certainly outside those of a perhaps a three mile radius of a, an American Air Force base or a dock like um, Liverpool probably wouldn't have been um, aware of. So, you know, it's, I, th I think it's interesting. It's the, the Beatles weren't alone in looking to um, the likes of Arthur Alexander uh, for their songs. And of course, if we started to then do it, I mean, it's again, it's that cultural shift, isn't it? There's lots of things you can look at this song and say, well, actually, do you know, if it was being done today, dot, dot, dot. I think there would be questions about, um, you know, why so many um, artists um, were going, so many, you know, white artists were going for songs by black American songwriters. Um, but actually this was a, a more naive time and, and, and you know, probably, I don't want to say all the better for it, but, you know, it allowed for a growth in in rock and roll with the link to, to the old sort of rhythm and blues and country rock and things like that, that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise have had if these bands were producing songs in isolation. And the other point I was going to make on that, of course, is that, that bands weren't writing albums full of their own material. So they had to go and look for it somewhere. So why not go for the artists like this who have clearly written a better song at that stage than you could write, especially if we're taking misery as being the counterpart? because misery times 200 equals Anna go to him. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I basically agree with all of that. And I, I also, yeah, Arthur Alexander is just one of those artists. I don't think he's kind of, yeah, he's just not very well known. He's kind of fallen off the cultural radar um, for reasons that I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll hold my hand up. I really don't know much about him, nope. except in terms of sort of guilt by association when other people have, have covered um his material and this this is unsurprisingly probably the best known of them um yeah and that's a shame because when you go and listen um to his version of this song or whatever you know he's got a tremendous voice there's so much there um to to sort of recommend him as an artist but very very little in the way of kind of public exposure and like i don't i'm not going to claim that he's going he, he would ever be a an artist in the same scale as say little richard or or anything like that but like if you take it maybe one step down from that kind of level there there are a lot of artists who kind of fall into that that kind of category and i think i think arthur alexander is probably one of them um whereby they were able to produce really top-notch material that probably does deserve um yeah. a lot more exposure than it gets but the main method of that exposure at this point simply is you know other better known artists have covered them yeah the stones the beatles yeah. whoever so um yeah it, it's it's kind of a shame and it, 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 it he may well be one of those artists so it's, it, it's worth going away and, and sort of digging into because yeah as i say I'll, yeah. I'll hold my hand up i know very little about him certainly a lot of other acts have including um in 1978 Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. Well, uh, if that's not a recommendation. But I can remember on uh, family holidays in the late 70s and the early 80s, Dr. Hook and the Med Medicine Show being one of those tapes that would get played in the car because Dad liked some of those songs on that album. Um, so it may well be that I have heard um, Sharing the Night Together um, 
but just hadn't realised it. So, um, you know, unfortunately, Dad's Dad's tape of Doctor Hook and the Medicine Show, whatever album it was, it's long since disappeared. Um, don't know why that would be, um, but maybe maybe I'll go streaming that on Spotify. Maybe we'll see. I'll, I'll look forward to an update next episode, <laughs> <laughs> which I will definitely, absolutely remember to ask you about and not completely forget. Yeah. So the other thing I was going to say, you know, again in relation to to that that sort of the way in which music has changed and then and now and all of that sort of thing is is that there is a you know a, again with the covers nothing of huge significance and the Honkasaurus and his pet dog uh, guitar cover is uh, is very underwhelming, nowhere near as good as the name. But Roger McGuinn. Um, there's a there's a version that you can um, uh, listen to Roger McQueen. I don't know when he wrote it. I suspect it was probably quite a few years on. So you know, yeah, uh, legendary Birds member, blah blah blah. And it's fine. It's it, but it follows, of course, the Beatles version a little bit more closely than perhaps the the original version. Not that there's a massive difference, but it's very polished, you know. And you you get a feeling that it's been gone over in the studio. And that any of the rough edges, if there were any, have been ironed out and the instrumentation has been worked out to make it a smoother, more professional listen overall. And I think that's at the point where, again, we need to go back and we need to think that actually this was something that was recorded as an album in a very short space of time. It is good compared to albums that were produced at the time that the album charts, as we said before, was full of um, original soundtracks. You know, it was not big on pop artists. So there's something about it that that works for the time. It just sounds a bit clunky now, although, dare I say it, less clunky than some of the other songs on the album. Misery, Chains, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, this is a good song, very much stuck in a crap sandwich as far as this album is concerned. Um, but at least you know, at, le- at least it's a, at least it's a, a note of quality. That's that's uh, something. Um, Do we want to say anything about the lyrics? I mean, bearing in mind it's it's not Beatles written. I mean, they've chosen to cover it, but that sense of um, um, I give you up. I'm not going to go chasing you. You go over to that person. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth um you know spending any time on that or whether at that point we just sort of gloss over it and go it's just a different side of the same coin as as misery what your feelings are on it um i mean i think it definitely is the other side of the misery coin um in so so many ways um it's i think it's interesting because i i think the one thing that is is um clear in the lyric of anna that isn't in Misery is misery only has one thing, which is this sort of self-pitying or woe is me kind of thing. Um, and the lyrics to Anna are, are trying, well, they're not trying, they are more sophisticated than, than misery. Um, but it has that one peculiar thing, which is if you, you know, give me back the ring and then you can go about your business. And that's a really weird note to be in there and but it feels it's a line i think it almost stands out because it feels like of of all the lyric that feels like the line that lenin would have written it's cynical and and it's it's got a bit of edge to it and it's like yeah give me back the bloody ring and then beat it and that that's the line that makes me 
makes it makes it fit with Lennon to me because it's quite a cynical line. It's quite it's quite bitter. Yeah, give me back the ring. I spent this money on you. Give it to me, and then you can go on, go about your business. Um, but it that feels off kilter because the rest of the lyric it seems to be fine. You know, it, it's a more grown up version of of dealing with it. It's it's a weird little cadence in there. Yeah, although there is that sense, and and again, rightly or wrongly, wrongly. Um, let's let's let me ask the question rightly or wrongly. Yeah, the answer is wrongly. Of course, the opening says, "You come and ask me, girl, to set you free," as though, you know, I you are my possession and I must release you so that you can go and be happy and be a sentient being. Now, again, I don't want to risk labelling it with the cultural values of uh, and cultural debates of today. That may have seemed like something that was the norm then, even though that would have fallen under the wrongly category um you know it is problematic that that whole notion of man sets woman free so woman can be happy you know you know i'll I'll wince slightly at that and i'll I'll wince at the fact that it's it's girl all the way through as well but then girl maybe scans better than but then are we I mean, you see, at this point, we could enter into, um, you know, wider debates about that. It is problematic, um, but there is a cultural, I say relevance, a cultural reason, justification. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching for something here to, to basically say I quite like it, but I know that it's wrong. Um, yeah, because the emphasis is very much on him to do the right thing to allow her to go and have a good time. Whereas of course in misery, um, there isn't that same sense. It's a case of, ah, the world is the thing that is, is causing me to have problems. Um, so, um, I don't, I don't really know. I I think it's probably something that, um, is not worth getting into too deeply at this stage, but maybe, um, where we we build up a case for the prosecution um, over a a fair few songs to at least sort of say, look, this is what was going on at the time. And I'm pretty sure that even the most of the Beatles would probably recognize if they were to look back and go, that's a bit kind of, it's apparently even, even Lennon really didn't like that, that, that very famous line in run for your life. Um, You know, so we shouldn't necessarily assume that just because someone wrote that and someone sang that, that that is their view. Yeah, no, that's I think the... we should cover all bases there to avoid a, um, um, you know, the internet. Uh, are many listeners ganging up and um, and calling for uh, calling for my head? I think. Yeah, I, I'm sure our listeners, both at home and around the world, are are, are greatly are greatly relieved at that. I was going to mention "Run for Your Life" because this is kind of the start of the journey that ends there, you know, um, lyrically speaking. And I mean, it is uncomfortable, but I mean, contextually, I mean, I'm not ever, I'm not going to defend the stance or anything like that. Um, and it is sort of fairly unreconstructedly kind of yeah macho in in terms of everything being from the male perspective um and lyrically speaking that's that's kind of the cultural norm in in 1963 which isn't you know yeah we obviously we can't impose uh, contemporary values on 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 uh, the 1960s but at the same time 
you could never call this progressive, but the fact that this person is prepared to kind of countenance the idea of it's not it, it is possessive in terms of the initial lyric, but it's not completely possessive. It's not it's not the well, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. Um, so it's a it's a strange kind of balance between that kind of unreconstructed machismo and trying to understand that the person this uh, protagonist is talking about can actually have happiness out with their world. So it's a yeah, it's a strange. It's a strange kind of balancing act. Maybe that's a conversation that we should, we should really come back to in two episodes' time with boys. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you, you could have um, a little discussion around that and, of course, why it remains boys, um, you know. So, um, yeah, because, frankly, it feels like we're, we're getting ourselves down several blind alleys here um, of when, when we're really meant to be going for something a little less um, facetious. I don't know. I was just plucking a word out there. That sounded right. Okay. Well, let's go with facetious then. Yeah. Yeah. Not overly happy with that. I'm thinking pompous is probably better. Heaven for fend. Heaven for fend, indeed. Um, yeah, and that's kind of... I don't know. That's 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 Anna. It's, it's, it's fine. It's good. Yeah. Even... I think well done you if you've managed to get through about the last, you know, three to five minutes. Because um, I, I think even as I was talking, I was realising it was becoming a bit of a stretch. Well, you know, again, we're we're here for unreconstructed opinions and just generally sort of talking. That's that's all we do. Well, I think with that we can uh, definitely draw veil over Anna. I think we've I think we pretty much talked this one into the ground. Wonderful, good. Well, you can contact us uh, by email. We are beetlestuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at beetles underscore ology, and you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we are going to be coming to the underside slice of bread in the crap sandwich that is uh, Misery, Anna and Chains, uh, which means we're talking about Chains. Um, so that'll be something to look forward to, right? Um, anyway, we hope you're going to join us for it. And until then, keep listening. <laughs>